This is Scott Bakula, and you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 145, Revisiting What Price Gloria. Sam? My name. I'm going to be called by my own name. Who is it? It's Gloria, you yo-yo. Who else would it be? I have to run to the store. I ran my last pair of stockings. You need anything? Uh, no, no, I'm, 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 I'm fine. You'd better hurry up. You'll be late for your new job. Yeah, right. My, my new job. Like it's no big deal. An executive position like this opens up once every five years and never to someone our age. Miss youngest executive secretary at the company. Miss? Wow. Oh, my God. If it was anybody else, Sam, I'd be all over you like a cheap suit. Stop it. Let's face it, you're a knockout. You see me as her? Of course I see you as her. Back in the waiting room, I see her as you. That's the way it works, don't you remember? What's wrong? Buddy got his promotion. Buddy? My fiancé. You can call a guy who's married your fiancé. I don't think so. I can't believe he did this. This is what we've been waiting for, so he could leave Gail. No, I'm sorry. He didn't even ask for me to be his secretary. I'm sorry. This is this is hard on me, Sam. Oh. It's hard on me. I can't stop thinking about you. Time has packaged my best friend inside a goddess of love. Sam? Buddy called. He explained everything. The reason why he didn't tell me about the promotion was because he wanted it to be a surprise. He wants to marry me. He's already married. This is why you're here, Sam. He's leaving Gail. He was just waiting for the promotion so he could afford to fight for custody of the children. I'm getting married. No, she's not. What happens? Uh, well, uh, when she finds out that Mr. Wrong won't marry her, she commits suicide. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Alison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And today we are witnessing a Quantum Leap first. I mean, it was a first about 30 years ago, but it's a Quantum Leap first. It's Sam's first leap into a woman. We're talking about the episode, What Price Gloria? Woo. Yeah, Gloria. It's a big moment, milestone for the <laughs> yeah. series. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you look back now from like our perspective and it's just like, was it that big of a deal? I, I guess it was that big of a deal. I'd like to get your guys like um, maybe your take on that. And Matt, if you have any kind of, of context that you can help bring to this as it was coming out, because... I'm not really sure I was aware of Quantum Leap at the time, and by the time the show had been on, I know they made some big deals about Sam leaping into a black man, leaping into a woman, but I'd like to get maybe a snapshot of the time if you have something like that to hand. Yeah, I mean, this was this was filmed um, during the season one production block, uh, first off. Um, so for those that don't know, this and Portrait for Troy were both filmed during season one, and this with the view of airing it at the top of season two, which is why Play It Again Seymour ends with the leap in here. And of course, by the end of season one, uh, we'd had Color of Truth, we'd had Sam leap into a black guy, which 
Yeah, I guess at the time must have been quite um, quite a challenging sell to the audience and to the network. This one was a challenging sell as well, but for a very different reason. Um, the view that I've heard from all the interviews from people involved at the time is, will this be taken seriously? Is this going to be a comedy episode of Sam in Drag? And that's ultimately why this got shifted back and didn't open the second season. It got shifted back to a bit later in the run. So, Chris, when you mentioned about, you know, was, was this a big deal? I think it was a big deal, but not necessarily because of the, oh, we're going to be tackling female issues and gender equality and all that stuff, but more, is anyone going to take the show seriously? When, when hmm. people see this and they see Scott Bakula hulking around in high heels, will people just switch off in droves and, and we'll lose them? So this is a big episode, but not maybe not necessarily for the reasons that Deborah Pratt might have intended to have been a big episode when she was writing it. That's so interesting because when you think back to the history of American television and the boomers that this show was trying to tap into, <laughs> you think of Uncle Milty and, you know, part of uh, his shtick was dressing in drag. And that was like the biggest TV show of the 50s. So I can I, I hadn't put that together until now. But uh, I, I guess, yeah, that's a big concern, huh? I mean, I think that was also one of the strengths of Quantum Leap is that for the most part, when they did stories like this, they wanted it to be a serious story. They weren't just like, mm -hmm. oh, isn't it funny that Sam's wearing a dress? Like, there are some comedy yeah. elements to it. But the fact that they did play it so seriously, I think, helped the show, for the most part, stand the test of time, uh, when a lot of other shows might have been a little more offensive. Now, uh, <laughs> we will get into some parts of this episode, which uh, I don't think hold up very well. But I think like overall, the fact that they weren't trying to play it for comedy helped it. Yeah. And um, just in terms of that scene setting, I know Deborah was concerned about uh, having having something like this done so early, and and also the fact that she wanted to be the one to write this. Uh, but as head writer, she was she was very busy, and it was Brandon Tartikoff from the network that was so insistent on doing this early, not necessarily uh, season two opener early, but he was the one that was pushing for it. So they had backing to do it. Uh, just it, it feels like a risk. And Chris, to to your point in terms of the boomer audience. Sure, but when you look at kind of how Quantum Leap had been positioning itself so far, it, it had done some some funny moments. But as Alison says, you know, it, it had always done it, had always taken itself very seriously. And I could imagine, as a show that presents itself very seriously, promoting this one probably would have been a bit of a challenge to say, "Come back and watch this. We're not just going to be playing this for giggles." So, yeah, I mean, I guess it's really a bit surprising to me that they had such backing and that they did, especially the network head, wanted them to take this seriously and present a serious story. But at the same time, you have Sam dressed up in some outrageous looking stuff, especially the hats. The hats <laughs> just took me out of it almost every time. <laughs> so they did sure. go for a little bit of goofiness. I, I think they really tried to walk a line. Well, there, there are comedy aspects to it. Like, it, I, I guess the comedy comes from the fact that Sam is a cisgender man who does not want to wear dresses and is not, hasn't experienced any of this kind of stuff. But they still try to present the story that Gloria is going through in a serious way, in a way that I, I think helped the episode not just to be about, you know, isn't it wacky that that Sam's in drag or Sam has to do all of this stuff. So like, th there certainly is a comedy aspect to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, why don't we do some uh, initial impressions? Allison. I love this episode. I mean, there's definitely things that uh, that don't hold up and I think are offensive, but I still think that it's a really good episode and I uh, I still enjoy it a lot. All right. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I've I've always had a soft spot for this one. Uh, it it's only been recently that I've started to look at it with a, a bit of a cynical and more modern I and realize some of the problematic elements, which may be the same things that Alison's alluding to. Uh, sure. <laughs> but it's, I think it's obvious where we're going to go here. But um, yeah, it, it's a fun episode. It's always been, it's always been a favorite. And it's considering everything we've already talked about in terms of the challenges of bringing this one to life and balancing the comedy and the drama. It's a great start for the, the female leaps. 
I was on the same page with you guys, I think, up until this last rewatch. I remember this one fondly. I've always um, enjoyed it and I've enjoyed the memory of it. I was looking forward to watching it again, but just some things became so apparent on this rewatch that I, I had a hard time enjoying it. And I didn't even know how to put into words why. And uh, just some behind the scenes, we had to skip taping the original recording for this episode because Allison got ill. And I'm glad we did because it helped me sort of keep all this stuff in the back of my head. And I finally came to a reason why it turned me off this time. And um, I think it's a, a lot of problematic stuff, but maybe not some of the stuff that I know that we're going to talk about, not some of the more obvious stuff. So, I mean, we'll get into, I mean, I, the, the main thing in this episode is sexism and just rampant sexism. That's the theme of the episode. So why don't we talk a, a little bit about that? Because... I don't know how even that came across to me. And this might be me in like sort of a post Mad Men era with that kind of lens of seeing this done so well on that show over the course of several seasons. The The way that they did it in this episode, I felt was a little bit ham-fisted, maybe necessarily so, when it wasn't being played for just laughs. So I'd be curious to know about how you guys felt the sexism was portrayed in this. Was was it portrayed effectively? Was it was it portrayed more goofy, or is it a mix of both? Like, where where do you come down on that? I think if this show were made today, it would be handled more subtly. How accurate that is for the sixties, I I don't know. I was not a woman in the sixties, so maybe some of the the goofy outlandishness is actually just true to life. But any kind of exaggeration that there is there, I could see maybe being handled slightly differently today. Um, as a piece of TV from nineteen ninety, uh, this yeah, I I I take it for what it is. It's presenting a message in quite an entertaining way. I mean, they went for um, the comedy angle with uh, a lot of it, but at the same time, what happens with Gloria, eventually she's going to commit suicide. So it mm -hmm. does get serious at some point, like it shows the ramifications of that. I thought it was fine how they portrayed it. There's certainly like darker ways of portraying sexism, which I, I think the show did do later on. I thought it was fine how they handled it in this one, personally. All right. I, I guess what, what I'm getting at is the fact that maybe it is that heavy handedness and maybe it had to be heavy handed because the script almost never relented on it. Everywhere Sam turned, there was um, some kind of aggression that he had to be dealing with, whether it be just, I guess, the expectations and, and, and the keeping up the appearance that he had to to maintain what society expected of him to just even getting on a bus and somebody, you know, swatting him in the behind. And then he gets to the office and this guy just swoops in to, to harass him while mm. he's big unpacking John. his stuff. Yeah, Big John. I could call you Samantha and uh, you could call me Big John. Well, I don't know what sexual harassment is, but I like the sound of it. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but uh, I like the sound of it. Such a good line. <laughs> it is a good line. I, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be a dick. I mean, a lot of this did make me laugh. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say, oh, oh, you know, oh, Gloria, I hate it now. I just know there are still some parts that work. It's just the overall, I, I think that it's a lot more clunky than I remember it. So that, that's really what I want to get into. It's a little clunky. Yeah. Yeah. But that being said, I, I guess maybe they were going more for like, archetypes and very mm -hmm. broad examples of the types of things that women were faced with in that era and are still faced with today. I mean, mm -hmm. we shined a light on this stuff a lot more since then, but it still persists. I mean, just look at the headlines any given week and you'll find multiple instances of trials and notable figures going to trial for alleged misdeeds. And that's where I'm just going to mm -hmm. leave that. I don't want to get political, but, you know, it's still alive and well and thriving. And uh, I guess maybe you yes. do need to have a heavy hand at times. I don't know. I don't know. I guess maybe that that's where my, my problem comes in because I, I like Quantum Leap and I want the art to be a little bit more subtle and a little bit more affecting as opposed to just so, so broad and so um, not inelegant, but maybe just like this, this blunt message that they keep hammering home. I mean, it was definitely more broad in this episode at times, especially with the uh with Buddy Wright, like it's a very um, big performance yeah. from John Calvin. 
Uh, he was uh, a favorite of uh, Donald Belisario. I've seen him in quite a bit of his productions, um, and he—that's <laughs> his acting style. I think <laughs> it's <laughs> very broad acting style. But yeah, I mean, I think like that it—it it fit what was going on in the episode. I think they've had subtler episodes, but I think I was fine with how they handled it in this one. Yeah, and they've—they've they've had subtler episodes, but I would argue this is also not the only time Quantum Leap does go very broad and a little heavy-handed with its moralizing and its message. So, again, would this be done differently today for sure? Are we looking at a piece of TV from 30 years ago that's looking at a time from 30 years previously? Yes. <laughs> um, I will say this. Uh, perhaps it was all worth it because we got to see Scott Bakula in a crop top. <laughs> um, just saying. It's pretty good. Always, always worth it. I'm so glad you brought that up and not me. <laughs> you know what I kind of love? It, it, legit, that look is is a popular look among fandom. I'm just going to say. Um, <laughs> but also, like, so imagine from Sam's perspective, right? He's leaped into a woman from the 60s. This is his first time as a woman. He's looking through her closet. She's a bombshell, too. Like, she's, like, wearing all of these, like, sexy outfits. He's got some choices to make about what he's going to wear. And he must have just seen like a shirt and pants and it was that crop top and, and whatever those pants were. And he's like, I'll I'll take it. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> and then you have Sam in a crop top making toast and it's just perfect. Mm-hmm. It's something you didn't know you needed until you actually saw it and said, well, yeah. more of that, please. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good stuff, pretty good stuff. And I mean, that's, yeah, that's where some of the the more comedic elements come in for the clothes, because how could you not, right? I don't really think that outfit was played for comedy. I mean, I guess maybe it was supposed to be funny, but that was during like some more serious scenes. When he oh, was no, that. no, that's true. That was the least distracting of his outfits and it was still notable. So, and I think that it's also maybe a product of where the show was at this point. Just seeing Scott in drag throughout the episode is a novelty in and of itself uh, because we hadn't seen it yet. So if you were watching it and you were not familiar with the show and you had not gotten used to some of the tropes of the show, this, I think, probably stood out to you throughout the entire episode, which is why that crop top, I think of it like this. He just saw jeans and a shirt and it didn't have to do with a girdle or with heels yeah. or some well, kind of foundation garment. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I just said. Like, he's like, he was looking for anything that was like a shirt and pants and that was <laughs> what was available. That's the closest he's going to find. Yeah. Why didn't Sam, uh, like, why wasn't he sure if it was that time of month or not? Oh, or, that time of the month, huh? Uh, I no, I don't, I don't think so. I was going to ask <laughs> you, Allison. I mean, <laughs> you think that there would be indications. <laughs> I mean, like, there's multiple things in this episode that support, like, the mind or the body theory. But I think that's the one that's one of the more... Yeah, mind leap theories, because why would he be so unsure when Gloria asks him if it's that time of month? Matt, you got anything? (laughs) Yeah, I I, I, only that. And this is this is going to be something you'll never hear from me. I've never put that much thought to that line. Um, (laughs) I haven't overanalyzed it. But isn't it just he he doesn't know. So I I don't know. I think he's just been thrown a question that he can't answer. Yeah, but I mean, surely he would just say no if he was in a man's body, right? Because like he knows that he doesn't have periods. I mean, maybe Samantha would be on her period, but it wouldn't even be relevant in that situation because he's Samantha. Speaking as someone who's never been asked if it's that time of the month for them, I can assure you I would be absolutely thrown for a loop if somebody asked me that question. Sure, thrown for a loop, all right, but he goes like, I don't think so. Like, he's like, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, you know, I yeah, hadn't thought about the, this. Well, hmm. But I mean, at the same time, he has a line later in the episode where he talks about stuffing his hairy chest into the dress and like, yeah. he'd have a hairy chest if he was a cisgender guy. So, I mean, like, you know, there's lines that support either one, but it was just a weird line. <laughs> Again, I think just more for laughs than anything else, right? And there's like earlier in the episode too, when he um, gets out of the tub and he's looking in the mirror, like he looks down, like I don't oh, know to down. check if he has a dick anymore. 
<laughs> I thought he was looking down to see boobs because what does Sam see? Does he see himself? Uh, yeah, I thought that too. But then I'm like, wait, I think maybe he's actually looking to to see like, oh, do I still have my equipment down there? Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Either way. It could be both. <laughs> I would say, and I know we're jumping ahead a bit, but it's definitely implied later that he's looking at his boobs because at the start of Blind Faith, when we flash back to this, we have that same clip. And he says, uh, there's always a few surprises associated with time travel. Some of them are small and some of them are not so small, which reads to me like he's looking at her bust. Sure. I mean, it could be either way, but regardless, like he's looking down to see if he has whichever thing he's looking for. Yeah, he's uncertain either way, which by this point he should be he should be sure what he's going to see when he looks down because he must have looked down before and been used to seeing a different body underneath him or not. But that's one of the things the show never really settled on. We, we've talked about this in the novel range. The books experimented with it a bit, but the show never clarified what Sam sees when he's looking at himself. Well, I mean, there's a lot of times, though, if he could see the person he's supposed to be, he would know certain things before he looks in the mirror and he doesn't. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. This is just I'm just saying it's interesting at at this stage, uh, some of the the evidence presented in this episode, because it seems to support both theories, which most of the time it does not support the mind theory to me, but. Uh, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, there's a lot of early stuff in this episode that's worth noting. This is the first appearance of the project door as we know it, the sliding one. Yeah. Close the door. Yeah, it's slightly different to the appearance in Blind Faith and beyond. I don't know if you noticed that. I only noticed it when, when it came out in HD. There's a there's a pre-drawn rectangle already there. Right, yeah. Um, but that's splitting hairs. You're quite right, obviously. Yeah, this this is the first appearance of it as as we'd recognise it. But I did find it interesting uh, to notice that they still tweaked it one one last time. Yeah, they were always tweaking stuff. Yeah, yeah. I liked. Uh, I thought that was a cool first appearance of it. Like uh, Al yes. walks through the bus and then yes. he like goes through there and like that was a pretty good scene. I thought that scene was so effective because it's the first time we've seen the door and for all intents and purposes, it's the first time Sam has seen the door, but the way he's just so nonchalant about it, he's like, yeah, open the door. Okay. Okay. Go close the door. We'll see you later. You know? Yeah. I think in universe, <laughs> they kind of ignore these little yep, uh, changes. Yeah. Like it's always been that way. Yeah. So, I mean, the fact that Sam was comfortable with it uh, made me more comfortable with it. The audience at home looking, say, wait a minute, this is different, but. No, he's not worried about it. Why should I be? And it was just such a great, like a like a natural scene between the two of them. I, a lot of the Sam and the Al stuff in this is fraught, but I thought that that was nice. And I know that we want to get into that. Can we talk about Gloria first, though, before we talk about Samantha and Al? Sure. Let's talk about Gloria. This is the reason that I dislike this episode because of the way they portrayed Gloria. For all that this episode purports to be about sexism and empowerment, you have this central character that is a weepy mess dependent on nabbing this married guy to solve all her problems and make all her dreams come true and to complete who she is. And I know that that was the societal expectations of the time. I know that they were writing it to, um, in some degree, represent a truth. But at the same time, I had a very hard time watching as she was victimizing herself. I, I just feel like it was a weak character to have at the center of the story. And in a story about empowerment, at the end of the day, Gloria, when she didn't get Buddy, still needed a white knight in the form of Sam Beckett to come in and rescue her. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally yeah. rescue her, swoop in and pull her off the ledge. Well, I guess that was uh, why the plot of the show happened, right? He has to save someone from something. <sighs> Yeah, um, but you can say that about any show. I'm just saying that at the same time, if you're talking about a story about empowerment, instead of Gloria deciding that she is going to kick Buddy to the curb, she has to almost kill herself before she realizes how far it's gone. And I know it's done for drama. I know they do it because Sam has to come in and help somebody and fix something. I just thought that it was counterproductive to the message that the episode was trying to send. 
Um, I think it really it was her learning that she didn't need to have a man to feel fulfilled, that she could have better prospects than mm-hmm. what she had. I think that was the point Sam was uh, was teaching her that. I mean, like, I guess it's the premise of the show that Sam has to swoop in and save someone. But I think that was part of her story is is learning to be more self-sufficient. I guess maybe it's because we never saw her in any way, like, dump Buddy or give a definitive, you know, go screw yourself or whatever. Some kind of scene where she took a stand against him as opposed to just deciding to let him go. Yeah, but then you wouldn't have the yeah. funny ending. And, and that's right. Mm-hmm. I the know. I, I understand ending. that you, you needed that because you wanted to have the comedy <laughs> ending. So they made a choice. I don't know if it was the right choice. I mean, I still like the comedy ending. <laughs> Okay. I, I well, don't think Alison likes the comedy ending. Oh dear. The ending is a big transphobic joke. I'm sorry. That's why it's stupid. Uh, like it, it yeah, is kind okay. of funny, but the whole thing hinges on the guy going, "You yucky guy." You can't be a man. Why? Because I turn you on. Yeah. I mean, no. No, no! And Sam getting revenge, and like Sam can't leap until he makes a transphobic joke and punches a guy. Like, what? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. See, I mean that maybe again in retrospect that doesn't hold up. Yeah, I don't think they were intending it to be mean spirited, uh, but it, no. it, it kind of is. It doesn't hold up very well. But I, I think it's also highly realistic. So I mean, that's the way Buddy would react. Well, yeah, but I mean, the show is framing it around. It's supposed to be funny. That he's like, oh no, this hot chick was actually a guy. Yeah. I don't know, is it problematic that I still find a chuckle? I guess it is. Yeah, I mean, there's some funny aspects to it, but I mean, like, it's, I don't know. I I mean, they even um, reference uh, Christine Jorgensen, too. I mean, it's specifically a transphobic joke. I'm I'm with Chris. I I laughed at it, uh, and I, I was laughing buddy obviously as we all were i'm having a moment here live during the recording where i'm i am questioning myself so thank you alison for that it wasn't meant it, to be true. a harmful scene and like there were parts it, no. that i laughed at too but like i mean you're right that is what it is yeah i'm not disagreeing with you at all and plus also if you remove it from all of that stuff too i mean like what sam can't leap until he gets revenge like that just seems ridiculous to me too it's just a really stupid reason for him not to leap i mean that's that's really silly as far as i'm concerned but again it was it was for that comedic aspect and the fact that he's like wait wait i can't leap yet like he's now talking to gtfw let me take off the heels now i'm ready to leap and he leaps and I'm glad that they didn't really do that again because it's just it's it's too cutesy. It's too much. Like leaping is not in his control. Now he's asking, okay, wait. I I'm gonna and I guess maybe leaping is it is in his control. Maybe it was him doing it all along. It was you all along, Sam. He wasn't ready to leap until he took the shoes off and then he left himself. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. I liked it in the moment. I liked it when I first saw it. And as I see it over and over again, the joke wears thin. But for all that, I did remember enjoying that scene and and that part of the episode. So is it more problematic now? Um, yes, it's always been problematic. It's just that we have more education now and realize maybe this isn't right. So it's hard. It's hard because you feel like it's quantum leap. You know its heart is in the right place. So it's like, is it okay to be okay with that scene? Or is it something that we need to, I guess the fact that we're discussing it is at least an indication that, you know, maybe there's, there's more there that should be explored and should be discussed. So. Well, I mean, I could tell you, I watched this with a friend before I was really thinking too much uh, about that last scene, and that's what they said about it, that it was a big transphobic joke. So, I mean... Oh, there's no denying that. They're not wrong. Well, uh... There, like, there's other parts of this uh, the episode, too, that are kind of like that. We have the whole subplot with Al. Yeah, let's, uh, let's at oh, one point dig into he that. Calls Sam, uh, at one point, he calls Sam a hermaphrodite. What is your problem? You... You, 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 hermaphrodite, you, you're driving me crazy. (laughs) So that doesn't hold up too great. Uh, There's certain parts of the story. Okay, there's the the Al talking about, uh, he's scared of being gay, 
because he's in love with Sam. Pieces is laying this load of repressed homosexual crap on me. Um, <laughs> there's parts of the story which I think are fine and not inherently problematic because I think it's consistent with Al's character that uh, he would be scared of this. But uh, I, I think where it gets offensive is stuff where he goes into like her- hermaphrodite and stuff like that. I, I don't think it's inherently bad that he's like oh no am i in love with my best friend and the fact that he turns around in the end and he's like well beaks fixed that she got me to accept it you're my best friend and love is part of friendship so i guess it's okay it actually makes the episode very gay in retrospect (laughs) (laughs) so i mean there's certain parts of it i think are still funny and i don't think are are that problematic there's just uh bits of it laced into it Mm. See, I, I find there's, there's two elements with that whole subplot. There's that, for sure. But the other issue I have with it is this whole episode has a has a plot within the leap about sexual harassment in the workplace. And right. that's exactly what's happening to Sam. And we're meant to see that as... I, I mean, as in Sam, Sam, Sam with Al. And we're meant to see that as funny. Al lusting after Sam. And it kind of undercuts the message that's being given in the leap part, which is more serious. And it, I find it very, like, I'm not comfortable laughing at this because in a minute's time, we're going to be being told that Buddy's awful for saying exactly the same kind of stuff. But but because it's Al, it's, it's cute. Right. Kind of makes you question Al's whole character, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I hadn't even considered that juxtaposition, Matt. That's that's uh, an amazing observation. I It never even clicked to me that it was the same thing just happening in a different milieu. Um, and I guess maybe because we just got done reading Incest Grandma novel, Independence, it reminded <laughs> me of just like that one note that was in Independence about Sam lusting after his, you know, however many times great-grandmother. And Al, now, his whole shtick in this is like thing after Sam and not wanting to. And I mean, I, yeah. the, the only good thing that came out of it, as far as I was concerned, was uh, the fact that they introduced Dr. Beeks as a character. <laughs> so, yeah. at least we got, you know, Verbena's canon here, but it, it's just like, you know. I used to think she was cute, yeah, too. Right? And, I mean, <laughs> and Beeks is starting with this repressed homosexual crap. And it's that to me, that's pure Al. Like, I think he was completely on character here, especially given some of the stuff that we see later and how uncomfortable he is with, you know, homosexuality and things like that. So I, I think right. it, it kind of lays the groundwork for that in a good way. But it's just like, I like the joke once. But the fact that they revolved his entire story arc in the episode around that joke worth into me. So that's where I had a problem with it. Now, Matt, I'm going to look at it even, you know, maybe with some more derision based on the connection that you just made that I hadn't, which is, which is, you know, it's like mind blown. Man. Yeah, I, th- I think for, for everything you've just said, I, I would have been much happier with the Sam Al plotline if the first leap into a woman hadn't been something like this. There's there's later leaps he has into a woman where he, he suffers from uh, sexual harassment, but sometimes in a much more subtle way because it's not the focus of the episode. If it hadn't been the focus of the episode, we could have got away with the comedy. It's just that juxtaposition seems really uncomfortable. I think maybe they could have just dovetailed these two stories together a little bit better. You know, you have Al uh, having a gay panic through the whole episode, basically. Um, but when he's flirting and harassing Sam, uh, eventually they should have had some lip service to that. You know, like Sam saying, like, hey, this isn't okay or whatever. Maybe like a small lesson about it involving Al. And I think that would have helped a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, especially since Sam is, you know, experiencing it all and he seems overwhelmed by it. When you talk about Quantum Leap walking a mile in somebody else's shoes, this is one of the prime examples of that because I don't think it's very often that we see Sam so out of his depth just with everything that he's confronted with. I mean, he seems to pull it off okay in the episode, but a lot of his inner monologue is a constant litany of everything that women have to go through. And it's almost like, you know, Deborah getting up on, on the soapbox and saying, see, see this and see that and see that. And, you know, it's com- mm-hmm. it's completely warranted, but it's just like, maybe that's where some of the problems I have with the episode maybe being a little bit too broad, a little bit, you know, it, it could have been a little bit more artfully done. Um, at the same time, it gets the point across. So at the end of the day, does it really matter if, if you know, you're talking about it, you're thinking about it in a different way, right? Yeah, well, I mean, when you compare this to like, Machiko McKenzie. Uh, Sam's basically leaped into someone who's him. Yeah, it's not that much of an adjustment 
to become that person. But uh, if you look at, at this episode, I mean, Sam has to change entirely how he experiences everything in the world down to like how he dresses, how people address him. He's got to put makeup on like he's um, uh, like everything's entirely different. So it is a bit of an adjustment and it would be like it, it would seem like everything is completely different to him than how it was previously. So uh, I guess that's why there's so much of that versus some of the other girl episodes where, you know, he's kind of been there, done that. Uh, yeah. And also like at that point, the series has been there, done that. Right. So yeah. maybe we can, instead of just focusing on all of the female stuff, we can just let him be in the, you know, it, I was going to say in the body of a woman, we'll let him be in the aura of a woman and uh, <laughs> maybe focus on other important stuff. Not just the fact that he's female, you know? Yeah. I got to be honest with you, though. I mean, however problematic the end scene is, I never expected Sam to make a boner joke on Quantum Leap. Or what it's like to walk around high school with your books in front of you to cover up an embarrassing case of pubescent hormonal overload. We got that from Gloria. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't Al get his boner caught in a car door and leap back? <laughs> Had some boner jokes. I think, but this is a first. It was the first leap into a female. The first high is heels. This the first, the first boner, boner joke. joke. Can we confirm the first boner joke of Matt, one and Break leap? out, break out, volume one, Matt. Yeah, no, I've got a section just for that boner jokes. And no, I think in Starcross doesn't. No, 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 no. Starcross had a boner joke. <laughs> Refresh my memory. Starcross had a boner joke. joke. It did have a boner joke. It's what <laughs> Sam didn't make the joke, but um, so he's talking to Jamie Lee, and she says uh, he's like trying to get her to get with uh Oscar or whatever his name was, and um, and then she says, but he's so stiff, and then Al looks like he's gonna say something, and Sam puts his finger out, like don't do it. So that was just an implied boner. Joke. That was an implied boner joke. This was an actual. But it's boner a boner joke. joke. <laughs> the joke is he he didn't want him to say a boner joke. <laughs> yeah. And even if you dispute that, Chris, which, no, I'm with Alison on that one, there's also a, a, a limerick in Starcrossed that has the word wang in it, I believe. Yeah, two boner jokes. Two <laughs> two boner jokes for the price of one. <laughs> Far be it for me to split boner jokes, so we're all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, we were talking about Gloria. Uh, a couple of fun facts about this episode. So um, there's this... Uh, the secretary that they keep showing looking judgmentally. <sighs> yes, judgy McJudgy face. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's Dean Stockwell's wife. Yeah. Joy. Joy Stockwell. I had no idea. And I'm thinking, why do they keep going to this woman? And then I guess once I realized who it was when I was putting the rundown together, it's like, oh, that's, I guess that's for Dean. I don't know. Like, did, is there the story how she got in or? Well, it's weird that they showed the same shot twice on different days. I think that was just a coverage issue, the fact they did that twice. Hmm. But I, is there a story as to why they just, did they just plop her in to give Dean a hoot? Or like, what was the what was the deal with that? I have no idea. It seems like yeah. that's what it was, because she wasn't an actress, as far as I know. But, I, well, I mean, they, they slipped in Scott Bakula's daughter in an episode, too. I guess sometimes they just have cameos by people. I guess. Do they just ask around, does anybody know a judgmental-looking woman? And Dean said, yeah, I'm married to one. <laughs> Shit, maybe. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, that's, how do you square that up over dinner? <laughs> do, do you want to do you want to come into work with me tomorrow? We've got a we've got a role that's perfect for you. <laughs> maybe they just wanted to hang it out, hang out on set together. You know, they didn't see each other that much. Maybe mm. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, there was another thing, too, I thought was kind of neat. In order to accomplish the mirror shots in this episode, they brought <gasps> yes. in Jean Seagal's twin sister. Yeah. So the lady who plays Gloria, she has an identical twin sister. And so that's who they brought in and on an identical set on the other side, standing alongside the uh, Samantha reflection. And that's how they did those scenes. That is such an effective mirror shot. And I, I love the fact that... Um, to really sell it, that room is a mess. They've they've got it's not just an identical set; it's it's identical dressing with bits everywhere. They made it, a, it it's it's provers all over the place. They just they made it a lot harder than they had to by just making that room really bitty and yeah, making use of the twin. 
fabulous. Yeah, like, if you're watching that from a modern perspective, you might not even think that's that complex of a shot. But then uh, if you think about how they did that and what technology they had available, I mean, I just think it's super cool. Yeah, I know that now. And I don't know if the last time I watched this episode that I was aware of the fact that it was a completely opposite set. And um, I was looking for seams. I was looking for, okay, for it to show. And I really couldn't, I really couldn't find, I guess if I stopped it, maybe went frame by frame, which I know you've done, Matt. Um, I (laughs) might've found some stuff, but it really was a solid, solid, like like set dressing. Everything about it was, the ambition there was amazing. It was so cool. And Jean Seagal, her twin, I believe that this is how I know her. I think in the 90s after Quantum Leap, her and her sister got like a, a sitcom. Uh, like, like a, like a twin sitcom in the nineties, if I recall correctly, like I want to say that they were gymnasts, but, uh, probably (laughs) not. Maybe I'm conflating it with memories of Mary Lou Retton. I don't know. It's the (laughs) eighties slash early nineties. It all blends together in my head, but, uh, they did have a sitcom together, uh, as twins. So, um, that's, that's where I first knew her. And, you know, I guess you can say that she's part of, uh, Hollywood, a a type of Hollywood royalty, uh, Katie Seagal is uh, also uh, her sister. And I think oh, Steven Seagal is, is an older brother. Why oh. are you making this no, up No, I don't think no. so. Yeah, look it up. Steven Seagal isn't re- really, though? Katie Seagal definitely is. And that's Peggy Bundy from Married with Children and Leela from Futurama. Oh, you can hear the typing from multiple. <laughs> I'm looking at, I don't think st- the Steven Seagal thing is true. Because it's, it's Seagull, isn't it? Not Seagull. Yeah, Steven Seagal yeah, spelled differently. It, it's Gene Seagal. <laughs> no, it's here, brother. <laughs> You're just making up stuff. I mean, Wiki- Wikipedia doesn't list him. It lists, like, her stepmother as Mars Champion, but Steve apparently isn't important enough. So <laughs> <laughs> Steven Seagal got into show business because he had mafia ties. This has nothing to do with relatives in the business. <laughs> All right, maybe, okay. <laughs> So maybe I'm conflating that, too. I said my, my memory is suspect here, but I'm pretty sure Katie Seagal is, is correct. Are they actually related? Because I didn't know that. Yeah, okay, yes. To yes, Katie yes, Seagal. Yes. All right. That's interesting. In my heart, Steven Seagal is a... Gene and Katie have a brother called Joey. Okay. All right. All right. And what's Gene's sister's name? Uh, there's Gene, Liz, and Katie. Oh, okay, Liz. Liz was the mirror. Yeah. Oh, Liz is the twin sister. Yep, yep, yes. yep. So good work, Liz. Good work, Gene. Keep plugging, Katie. Um, <laughs> and St- Stephen Seagal does not have an identical twin. Uh, but wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> I, c- I could imagine some awesome movies with that. Let's uh, let's let's do a leaps elsewhere or a tangent about an imaginary <laughs> twin movie starring Stephen Seagal. Stephen Seagal does have a quantum leap connection because he had that cameo in one of the comics. <laughs> also, yes. he's the brother of Gene Seagal. So- <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I really hope you don't edit this out, Chris. I'm not. No, I'm going to die on this hill. (laughs) Even though I'm wrong. Even though I'm wrong. Just in my mind, they were all related. Everyone with a a similar last name (laughs) is related. (laughs) All right. All right. All right. So. Uh, Okay. One thing about this episode I don't think we discussed uh, in detail was the fact that Al can see the Leapy, but not Sam. And it seems to change after this episode. Yep. Okay, so I wanted to ask you guys about that because in my mind, this is the episode in which I thought that they stated Al saw the Leapy and they solved the problem and his raging hard on for Sam by changing it so that he actually sees Sam instead of Samantha. No, that's just what people have headcanoned. Right. And so I, I was waiting for it and I was waiting for it. And no, all we got was was the thing that, you know, love is part of friendship and now I'm okay with it. It's pure headcanon. Huh. I didn't know that. I really thought it was part of this episode. No, it just seems to change after this episode. So people are just like, I don't know, maybe Al was just like, hey, change it. I don't want to get the gaze again. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not alone, Chris. I, I see this conversation pop up on Facebook all the time. Like, oh, who who does Al see? And there's always somebody that pops up and says, well, Al used to see the Lee P, but uh, then after What Price Gloria, there was an episode where they established explicitly that they're playing around with stuff back at the project and they've managed to fix it. But whoever says that can never name the episode because it didn't actually happen. (laughs) It's it's so entrenched in fan lore. Did they say it in the books? 
Don't think so. I feel like one of the books may have said that that was why it changed. I could dig into that. I, the, the closest I've come, and this is another weird synergy with the books, like we were talking about Incest Grandma and Al with a Case of the Gays. In Angels Unaware, which we're reading for the next show, spoiler alert, that's what's coming next, but um, Liz talks about Al having, quote, his double vision, and it means that he right. can see both somehow. I think that was established in a, a different novel, but yeah, the novels seem to act like he can he can kind of see both. Right. So it was just weird. So I had two novels that were sort of dovetailing in different ways into the episode that we were watching. So interesting. I'm just looking back at my notes uh, from from the first edition of the book a few years back, and the only references I've got in the novels to specifically who Al sees is Search and Rescue which doesn't cover any kind of change. So it, not to say it didn't happen. They may have covered it then, and that would certainly explain why so many fans think that there is some definite evidence, but I think it is just, at least from the from the show point of view, it's headcanon that everyone's accepted, which is, which is fair. It's, it, it makes sense. Well, your notes aren't uh, accurate because uh, Chris just mentioned Angels Unaware also talked about who Al sees. That's right. Oh, I'd throw the book away, Matt. Yeah, I'm just saying, there might be more. (laughs) Yeah, there might well be. That was um, so. That was from a piece where I was talking about explicit contradictions. Um, Mm -hmm. So, what comes up in Angels Unaware? When Sam Sleepy enters the waiting room, he's the the priest, and he's got a beard, and Al can see both Sam and the Leapy somehow at the same time, and he calls it his double vision. And Verbena says, what can you tell oh. me about him? Oh, well, he's got a beard. Yeah, no, so th- th- this is in a bit about what Sam sees when he's looking at Al in the imaging chamber. Sorry, I right, I'm with you now. So no, that's, that's a different bit. I probably cover that in the book, if I don't, bad Matt, but that's a different thing. Who Al sees when he's in the imaging chamber, not the waiting room, Quantum Leap, uh, Quantum Leap is complicated, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Lots of different rules and they contradict each other all the time. That double vision thing comes up in a couple of the novels, but that's only ever in the waiting room. In the imaging chamber, I think it's generally pretty clear that he sees Sam, except in this episode. Well, in the the books also talk about, like, he can see... Uh, it's gone different ways because they go with the mind theory. So, but it just now, now just like strictly without the books, without all this conjecture, just like being in this moment in the show, you know, Sam and Al usually seem to recognize each other instantly. So it's like, how does Al know who to look for? If yes. everybody he sees looks, you know, he, sees, yes. he goes into the waiting room and he sees Sam. So then yeah. he's got to find Sam on the other side of that door without any kind of indication of who he might be looking for, except for maybe a name. So how does he pinpoint Sam out in a crowd so readily? Which may be a reason they changed that rule. I think they just were not thinking about it. Yeah, I think maybe that's ding, ding, ding. I think that's (laughs) the whole thing. What if he was walking around with one of those VR headsets like they had in the the pilot script for the the new series? (laughs) And then like it has like... like, um, little text in front for him, you know, like, beep, 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 right, beep, right, beep. Right. and then, like, it tells him, <laughs> yes. like, who Sam is. Like he's in his Iron Man helmet. <laughs> Target locked. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we need, Al, to come in with an Iron Man helmet. What, this is my imaging chamber now, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Lawnmower Man VR or something. Yeah. Classic. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know that I have much more to say about Gloria. Do you guys have any more points that we haven't covered? Or I think that's all I got. I got nothing about Gloria, but I'm going to say something you might just want to edit out since you said you didn't want to get into like current affairs earlier on, Chris. But I'm just going to say this. While we're recording, the president of the uh, Spanish Football Association has announced that he's going to resign after having decided it was completely appropriate to kiss one of the women on the team on national television just because he could. Mm. So I feel that's um, good timing in terms of the recording of this episode. I also was alluding to a president. So. <laughs> yes, I know you were alluding to bigger stuff there, but um, I just found it amusing that while we were talking about all that, I had a little notification on my phone saying, hey, it's it's not okay to uh, just kiss a member of your staff. Are you telling me that Sam hasn't cured sexism forever by the end of this episode? 
It seems not. I thought sexism was over. <laughs> Shockingly, well, it is. It is now. Now this has happened. This was the last guy. Ah. He's gone now. So we're we're all good. He read the feminine mystique, and then the, <laughs> everything was fine. True. That's true. All right. So if we're talking about you know soccer sexism, maybe it's time we get to some final thoughts on what price Gloria, <laughs> Allison. Uh, what what are your final thoughts on what price Gloria? I think the ending is dumb, but I still love the episode. All right. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I need to rethink the ending. Um and I I don't I don't blame Allison for that. I I love being prompted to rethink things. Um I'm going to rewatch that again. But yeah, generally speaking, fun episode, very broad humor, definitely a, a product of its time representing a product of another time. So, I don't critique it too much. But I like it. Well, I think I've found uh, more complexity after this conversation, Matt, especially the, uh, the point that you brought up considering how similar Sam's experience with Al is with his experience in the workplace. And I, I had not – I don't know. It's now – how can you not see it now that I know about it? So that gives me a little bit more to chew on as I watch the episode. But again, I just think the central failing is that Gloria is such a weak character and – the show mm-hmm. supposedly about her becoming empowered. So I just, uh, it, it's kind of a misfire. I, I, I'd say I admire the show for what it was trying to do and for the message that it was trying to get across. I just wish that the execution had been better for such uh, seminal moments in Quantum Leap history. So I think that closes the book on our discussion of what price Gloria. And this is normally where I would throw to a break, but we don't have any interviews or anything for this one. So why don't we just plow on ahead? I am excited to share some Patreon news with all of you guys. Say hello to a new member of the Quantum Leap Podcast Book Club, Mr. Charles Ball. Charles, woo! Hey! Yay, Charles! <laughs> Welcome you. to the club! Welcome to the club, Charlie! Charles has become a $3 monthly member that brings him into the Quantum Leap Book Club. And aside from this shout-out on the show, he gets access to all the Patreon polls that are put up there on the Patreon site to vote on what show we should cover next. Next, as well as the discussion threads for all of the main shows and books. So thank you, Charles, for uh, your pledge of support. Uh, you're also going to get that Quantum Leap Podcast Book Club bookmark in the mail. I promise it's a coming. So everybody, once again, let's give it up for Charles. So Yay, Yay Charlie. Um, speaking of those discussion threads, uh, we did get some feedback on one of them. I'm going to read it quick. It's from Allison's favorite uh, patron, Ash is Embracing <laughs> My Inherent Cringe Orc. And uh, it's regarding Independence by John Peel. Uh, after that show, Ash left this message. The main thing I took away from this novel, besides the grandma incest, was that the antagonist, John Kirk, has the same name as my dad and as such it was a really strange read he passed away in 2017 but he was the one who got me into quantum leap to begin with when i was a kid so i have to wonder what he would have thought of this novel and uh ash that's you know what a weird little coincidence isn't that funny i don't know what to do with that comment i just thought it was worthy of sharing so thank you for sharing yeah that's already like a weird novel but you throw you like your dad into it and yeah (laughs) it's got to be a strange time yeah I mean, only stranger if your grandmother is called uh, w- whatever she was called in this. That that would make it weirder. <laughs> Hannah. Donna Standin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you, Ash. Um, now, this is going to be uh, a first. It's got to be a first. We got a five-star review on Apple Podcasts by someone named, I'm not, quote, playing dress up, 72023. Allison, why don't you take this one? <laughs> All right. QL is okay, but it's no QLP. I have a lot of issues with QL and usually find myself getting irritated by it and Sam and Al's characterization. That being said, I enjoy this podcast and the back and forth between the hosts. While I sometimes wish they were more critical, I may like the pod more than the show. (laughs) Hey, well, that's something, huh? I can only I can only think that this is someone that's a fan of one of us that has gone into the podcast because otherwise what what's going on? Yeah, why, why do you search Quantum Leap podcast? Yeah, I'm going to check that out. 
is somebody searching Alison Pregler and yeah. <laughs> it, they could be a Matt Dale fan or a Christopher D. Philippus fan. But uh, pe- people only know me and Chris through Quantum Leap, so <laughs> <laughs> you don't know Quantum Leap, you got no idea who we are. It might be also they're watching the show and they like it, but they're like, this drives me nuts. I want to see someone make fun of it or yeah. like be a little critical of it. Like I need some opinions to back me up. You know, I've done that before. Yeah. I mean, very recently I have a friend online who I do other podcasts with. She just started watching Quantum Leap and um, she is really annoyed by it. And when I read this thing, <laughs> I said, Neek, is that you? So Neek, is this you? It may be Neek, it may be not. But I mean, it's the exact thing where I don't know if she's listening to the podcast, but I think she would appreciate the fact that we're making fun of a lot of this stuff as well. So it's I think exactly what you said, Allison. But whoever you are, uh, I'm not playing dress up. Thank you. I mean, wow. Yeah, Thank nice. <laughs> yeah. What a compliment. Stay tuned for Thou Shalt Not. You'll enjoy it. I mean, I mean, uh, our discussion of Thou Shalt Not. Stay tuned for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And anybody who wants to hear um, a defense of Thou Shalt Not, uh, I just put up a bonus show today with um, our patron, Mike Thomas, who's also contributed to feedback. And, you know, he has a pretty good take on Thou Shalt Not. So he might change your mind on it. I don't know. But uh, cool. go listen to that if you have access to our bonus content. I'll tell you how to get that after we're done with feedback. But first we have to do... Uh, uh, an email that we got from a longtime listener, Miley Enos, and she wrote to us regarding the Americanization of Machiko. I'll start. I remember this episode being a favorite with me and my mom. My dad was in the Air Force, so we knew many women like Machiko. We also lived in a small town and knew women like Lenore. With the eyes of an adult, I can see that this was not Machiko's story. It was Lenore's. It would be interesting if Ben leapt into a Machiko. What might be different and what might be discussed? I still like the original episode and wish we had more scenes with Machiko. A few observations. Give Machiko some time in the States and she'd be calling Lenore and Naomi bitches. <laughs> Sam was totally into Machiko. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I th- we, we, yeah, we know. Yeah. <laughs> I have the feeling that Rusty received a slap on the wrist if he was held accountable at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sad but true. Anyone else headcanon that Charlie joined the Navy to get away from Naomi? <laughs> It was just you, but I like that. I mean, I thought maybe Lenore, but uh, maybe both. It was Naomi. (laughs) Yeah. Good point, Smiley. Good points. And uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, it is Lenore's story. It's the American nation of Machiko, but I just just hate Lenore so much. I just hate her. I mean, there's no redemption for that character (laughs) in my mind, but I'm glad that you are, you know, get a good feeling of uh, your childhood and memories and things like that from the Americanization of Machiko. Thanks for the feedback. We have one more letter. Yeah, thanks. Uh, One more letter here from Francisco Salazar. And he writes, Allison is back! Exclamation point. (laughs) And uh, me and Matt will take this one so we don't embarrass Allison. I'm late to the party, but I am happy to hear Allison having fun talking about Quantum Leap. I found Allison on YouTube and have been watching her content for a few years. I even made some Carman fan art because one of her series. (laughs) (laughs) I found QLP because she mentioned it. It's good to hear her laughing and having fun again. Well, maybe she wasn't having fun talking about independence. (laughs) There's not much I can say about independence, except I like the idea of Terry Hatcher being hot grandma and Mimi being present-day Donna. That's my head cannon. (laughs) I'm just just visualising Terry Hatcher as hot grandma. I mean, yeah. That about describes her now. Um, Enough about independence. (laughs) What I really want to know is this. Did the Quantum Leap RPG that Chris wanted to start ever get off the ground? I've been getting into TTRPGs lately. That's tabletop role-playing games for anybody who doesn't know. Thank you. And I remembered QLP discussing a possible Quantum Leap offshoot. If it did happen, is there anywhere I can listen to the gameplay? Frank J. Salazar of Salazar Art Nation and Roll for Taraco. Okay, Frank. If you had access to the bonus content and you heard the latest episode of Fangent that dropped last week, as of the time we're recording this, that's Fangent 10, I do get into more of that idea of the Quantum Leap role-playing game that I had been blue-skying, I don't know, what, over a year ago, I think, was the last time I mentioned it on mic for the main feed. So short answer, no, there's nothing to listen to yet. And I haven't I haven't gotten anything together, and I'm still trying to figure out mechanics and things like that, um, if I'm even up to DMing a game. I don't even know that I am, that I have the experience or, you know, the stick to but I can tell you this. Um, 
It ain't going to happen soon because uh, after this month, we got a solid eight weeks of new shows to worry about for uh, season two of Quantum Leap. (laughs) So uh, it's going on the back burner yet again until at least until that hiatus and until I get more confidence in my game playing ability. So yet another fan of Allison finding the podcast through her she is uh the big money maker around here she's she's mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, oh thanks frank i mean like I, i'm glad that car man has made it w- its way into this podcast because matt and chris have no idea what the fuck you're talking <laughs> oh, about I, I have. <laughs> that was my next question i literally was was gonna say what the fuck is he talking about <laughs> This is just some like big American TV show that I've not heard of, and and Chris was going to go, Matt, come on, everyone knows Carman. The thing is, okay, Carman is a joke from our uh, Charmed podcast, but like I, even people who know Charmed don't even know what the f- I, I don't remember what <laughs> Carman came from exactly. There was some character we made up some backstory. He was a superhero named Carman, and he was like a big <laughs> failure. I, we were just so fucking bored with the reboot of Charmed that we just made up our own story. So that's where Carman comes from. And apparently, there's Carman fan art. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember his Carman fan art. It was great. <laughs> And thanks again, Frank, and thanks for listening to the podcast. Did Carmen become the unofficial mascot of the Charmed Rewind podcast? Oh, well, (laughs) we turned Carman into – so if you've ever – like, do you guys ever uh, listen to uh, the Star Trek podcast, Greatest Generation? I have a couple of times. No. Okay, so they have the drunk Shimoda. Yes, yes. Where they ask at the end, like, who's your drunk Shimoda, the guy who's having the the best time? So we turned Carman – into uh who is like the hero of the episode uh as opposed to the margoyle who is the standout loser of the episode (laughs) Uh, margoyle was just a stupid loser demon (laughs) in an episode of charmed so yeah carman lives on Uh, at the end of every episode we ask who's our margoyle and who's our carman go carman go yeah great all right well now that we've all been educated on that i mean who knew jesus carman yeah all the lore you ever (laughs) didn't need to know (laughs) If you would like to be like Frank J. Salazar or Miley Enos or five-star review, I'm not playing Dressup who likes the show better than than the show, or Ash is embracing my inherent cringe arc, or anybody else we've heard from on this feedback segment, there are many ways that you can reach us here at the Quantum Leap Podcast. You can send us a letter or maybe a new set of rims for my car at P.O. Box 542. Bayport, New York, 11705. You can get us on phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can get us on Instagram at quantumleappodcast. You can X us at quantumleappod. You can find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash thequantumleappodcast. And you can always go that extra mile and support us on Patreon like Mr. Charles Ball at patreon.com slash Podcast. Just remember that we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. And speaking of upcoming episodes, Matt, can you tell us what's next? Yeah, next we're going back to the book club with the, uh, I think it's the 12th novel in the series, Angels Unaware, which is a a sequel in multiple ways to the original series. Uh, I don't have the back cover blurb handy. I got it right now. A leaper earns his wings. September 1981. A little girl named Teresa Bruckner is visited by an angel, a man in strange clothes who says his name is Al. He sings her a lullaby and promises to come back someday before vanishing in a flash of blue light. April 1995. Teresa Bruckner is no longer sure she believes in the angel named Al. In fact, she doesn't know what she believes in anymore. So she goes to a peaceful New England monastery to rest and think and plan, and, according to Ziggy, to die. (gasps) Now, Sam Beckett, who has leaped into a visiting priest, must change things for Teresa as he did once before. But the odds are not good, and it soon becomes obvious that it will take more than one leaper and one cigar-smoking angel to save her from certain death. Quantum Leap, Angels Unaware, an all-new adventure, first time in print. 
Wow, a lot going on there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Even the summary couldn't wrap it up. They're like, all right, we got to do this. And then there's like, this oh, part. This okay, and then okay, and that part. Oh, wait, we forgot about that part. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dense book. I will say that. It is. Yeah. Lot going on. Um, I think maybe 40 pages in and my head is spinning. There's so much happening in this book. Oh, my God. So it's going to be a long discussion. And um, I'm going to spoil it by saying those first uh, you know, few chapters have been actually been very enjoyable so far. So I don't know where I'm going to wind up when the book is over. But um, yeah, if you guys haven't read Angels Unaware, that's what we're doing next. You have a few weeks to do it. I highly recommend that you do so. It's funny because... Every time I see that book, I think about a discussion I had with Morgan Felden when we did his Oh Boy interview, where he always thought that the creative DNA for Quantum Leap was Highway to Heaven, which was a Michael Landon series about an angel <laughs> that came and fixed people's lives. Yeah. And every time I see yeah, Angels Unaware, yeah, every time I see this the, this book title, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, oh, it's like Highway to Heaven, but uh, but not. <laughs> Maybe it is, but they couldn't fit that on the back cover blurb. Maybe they had to give up something. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I look forward to finishing that book and to talking about it with you guys. Until that time, I've been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Alison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Alison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash Podcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Special thanks to our producers, Harold Sullivan, Glenda Palma, Chris, a.k.a. Brackmang, Mike Covert, Jeff Kiska, Greg Riedler, Cosplay Dad, Charles Allen Gossard, and Morgan Felden. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap podcast is a barren space production. I have no idea what the Uncle Milt reference is. I assume that was some sort of comedy. I just went with that. Oh, really? Oh, well, Milton Berle is an American comedian, and he was big oh, in the that, early days of television. Name. Yeah. So they called him Uncle Milty. And um, okay. he had a TV show on. I think it was the Texaco Store Theater. Uh, it might have been from a radio show. But a huge part of his shtick was there was always a segment where he was dressed in drag. So yeah, happy to explain Americana to you, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Change it. I don't want to get the gaze again.